You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. The United States Congress seems to be unable to do something that the overwhelming majority of senators and representatives and the president's support, which is funding for Ukraine so that it can continue, that country can continue to defend itself against the invasion by Vladimir Putin and Russian forces. And yet the United States is seemingly on the verge of deserting Ukraine. With us to help understand this and other crucial national security and world security issues is Michael Clare, who is the defense correspondent for a longtime defense correspondent for The Nation magazine, professor emeritus of peace and world security studies at Hampshire College, a prolific author on these topics. Michael Clare, thank you so much for being with us today. Let's start with Ukraine. Is the support of Ukraine, is this fight of Ukraine against Russia important to the United States national security? Or is it, as uh, Governor DeSantis told us, just a a regional conflict? What's your evaluation of how important this war is? Oh, my gosh. You know, that's that's a politically, uh, that's become a political question as well as a national security question. But let's just say that uh, most American presidents and senators and representatives for the past 75 years would have answered that um, NATO solidarity and resistance to whether it was Soviet aggression or Russian aggression was a matter of U.S. national security. The reason being that the U.S. has benefited from a stable world order uh, led by the United States, and that our our uh, corporations and our interests benefit when you have a world order of that nature. Uh, th- this has been, you know, what people call bipartisan foreign policy that's dominated all these years. Uh, but let so me ask you, let me ask that, you this, Michael Clare. But is it is it right? I mean, because the argument is. Listen, we're going to spend another $50 billion on Ukraine. We could spend $50 billion profitably uh, here in the United States. And Ukraine just doesn't matter. If Vladimir Putin takes Ukraine, who cares? It kind of reminds me of if uh, Adolf Hitler takes uh, 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 various countries. It doesn't matter. But I would like to know, does it matter to the peace of the world and security of the world uh, if Putin were to be able to consume Ukraine? Well, that's what I was getting at. That, um, you know, that view would hold, and I agree in large part that if you allow uh, Russia, which has demonstrated a, a compulsion to use military force, to use aggressive tactics to achieve its political ends in Ukraine, if you're saying, oh, here's a green flag, waving a green flag, go ahead, take whatever you want, uh, whatever Trump's expression was, uh, you know, go, go, go right ahead, use force and overwhelm this democracy of Ukraine, then uh, Putin has claimed uh, he wants to do the same thing with other countries that were once part of the Soviet Union, the Baltic states. And why not a Poland and other countries that were 
uh, once part of the Warsaw Pact, once part of the Soviet Union's empire in Eastern Europe. What I'm saying is that uh, you are opening the floodgates to a world in which violence is the preferred mode of operations. And when does that stop? I uh, would like to pursue that, uh, Professor Michael Clare, that because what Trump said was if you, any NATO state which is uh, delinquent in its uh, guarantee of paying 2% of its uh, GDP, domestic, gross domestic product, um, on defense, um, that NATO state, he said, the hell with them. Uh, if, he started to say, no, we won't defend them if I'm president. But then he went on to say, as a matter of fact, I invite anybody to attack them. And I think at this point we have 18 states out of roughly, I think, 32, something like that, NATO countries that are uh, up to date and the other remaining less than 2%. What, what are the consequences of having a president of the United States who takes that attitude go ahead and attack them? In my mind, that's opening us up to a world of constant war and violence and aggression, ending in nuclear thermonuclear catastrophe and global annihilation. That's the end point. Tell us more about the United States' obligation as a member of NATO. An attack on one is an attack on all. And does that really mean that if, for example, I don't know, one of the, if, well, Ukraine is not in NATO, but if one of the NATO, any NATO country, any of the Balkan countries were attacked by Russia, that we have to go to war with Russia? Is that what it means? Can I just slip in one quick question here for Michael Clare? Uh, during the Tucker Carlson-Putin interview, <clears throat> Putin mentioned Poland at least 35 times and tried to blame them for World War II. So just to add to Bill Newman's comment question there. Yeah, well, these these are these are indeed big, big issues with capital letters, and it's hard to you you know to to answer them in in simple sentences or paragraphs. And it's uh, yes, the answer is the NATO treaty does oblige the United States or any of those countries to come to the aid of any of them that comes under attack. That is the nature of the treaty that we signed, the United States signed. So we do have an obligation. The notion being that uh, if we all remain in solidarity with one another, that nobody will invade. So what Trump is saying, well, no, we're not in solidarity anymore. And if they don't pay their dues, uh, then go ahead, Putin. You could invade anybody you want, and we won't stop in the way. But what's, what's to stop uh, once you open up the world to that kind of anarchistic, chaotic violence, where do you draw the line? I heard an interesting uh, bit of commentary on PBS last night, and it was that Donald Trump has actually managed to uh, co-opt the discussion by having the media and all of us use these terms like dues uh, as if it's a country club that NATO countries belong to. And it's not dues, actually. It's, the question is whether or not the country 
is meeting its pledge to spend 2% of its GDP on defense. It's not like where there's a big pot of, of, of money being collected and everyone puts in 2%. That's not how it works. And the analogy was, well, wait a second. Someone's behind on their local real estate taxes. So if there's a fire at the house of the person who has not paid all of their real estate taxes, we'll just won't go there. We won't have the fire department respond. And if it burns down the neighborhood, so be it. I think that's an apt analogy. Oh, it sounds pretty good to me. Uh, the problem here is that uh, the countries that are most at risk, the Balkan states, Poland, and others, they've been, they pay much more than Trump is asking for. They're the ones that are greater risk. And, uh, but they're, they're small countries. They're 2% of GDP is, you know, what Rhode Island might be asked to pay uh, if it had to. It's, that's not going to pay the U.S. defense budget. So if the stronger states aren't willing to support the weaker states, then the whole concept falls apart. How close is Ukraine to losing the war if the United States doesn't, Congress doesn't fund uh, uh, military operations and military equipment soon? Yeah, Bill, before, before I answer that, uh, and, and coming back to what Buzz asked, these are very, um, these, are, these are hard questions that you're asking me, and I don't want to put NATO up on a pedestal and say this is the most perfect organization that ever was. There are many people in our audience who think that NATO overreached when it uh, expanded eastward towards uh, towards Russia and and helped stir up the conflict. So uh, NATO is in by no means perfect. But now the 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 real question is how do you deal with a country like Russia led by Vladimir Putin? who is not disposed to abide by international norms and is, uh, and is prepared to use violence to achieve his personal ends. It's the same problem we're facing in Gaza. What do you do when you have a, uh, a, a lone actor, uh, an outlaw, uh, using force in in horrific ways. Uh, that's the problem we face in today's world that uh, we, we haven't had to deal with in a long time, and it's exceedingly difficult in, 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 in how to face that problem. So in answer to your question about Ukraine, uh, I, I think that th that now Ukraine's problem is, is to how to hold off further uh, Russian aggression any question of Ukraine being able to push the Russians out of their territory seems moot without American aid, uh, further American aid. Now the question is, will, will the Ukrainians be able to hold the line where they are uh, and prevent further Russian advances uh, and, and further Russian attacks on Ukrainian cities with high levels of civilian death and destruction? One of the arguments against funding, further funding you for Ukraine that the uh, Republicans are using is that there's no end in sight. 
that this is an open checkbook on the American taxpayer. I hate to be making this argument, but it's what they say. Uh, and this war will go on forever, and there is no there is no closure here. What do you say to that? Well, that's you know that's that is a, a reasonable question to ask. Uh, I think everybody agrees now that there has to be a negotiated settlement in an end to the conflict. So the question is. Uh, what will the when will those negotiations begin and what will the terms be uh, it, it appears that uh, Putin um, sent out some feelers to to US representatives via third countries uh, saying he's willing to freeze the conflict in place uh, and stop the war where where the line battle lines are currently and the biden administration said first of all that we're not going to negotiate on the behalf of the ukrainians which i think is the honorable thing to say and uh, and secondly uh, it's very painful to, to say to the ukrainians that that you have to surrender to russian aggression and let them take a fifth of your country um, without giving you the opportunity to 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 uh, fight back and drive off the the Russians from that territory, uh, I think it's going to be very difficult. However, for uh, Ukraine to actually dislodge the Russians from where they are, so I think at some point there will have to be negotiations, and. Uh, you know, and the outcome isn't going to be too different from where things are now. How long does the United States Congress have to act before the lack of military supplies really is dire for Ukraine? And and before you answer that, Professor Clare, um, I just read two days ago that Europe is going to need 10 years before it's fully ready to defend itself because their ammunition stocks are currently empty as a result of uh, providing munitions for uh, for Ukraine, that, that that has to be part of the formula, right? Yeah. Well, now this is Europe is not ready because it has counted on the United States to provide the bulwark of defense against Russia for these past ten or twenty years. Uh, they they've they've just uh, you know relaxed in the in the note relaxed isn't the right word, but um, They've assumed uh, that um, the United States would would provide the bulk of the defense, and they've assumed that Russia had no incentive to use military force. And it turns out that both both of those assumptions were wrong. Uh, the United States isn't going to provide that bulwark indefinitely, and Russia is not committed to. Uh, remain a law-abiding member of the international community anymore. Uh, so conditions have changed, but, uh, you know, 10 years of low arms production is going to take a long time to overcome. And that's that's NATO's dilemma. Uh, this is the weekend uh, coming up of the Munich Security Conference, the annual conference of defense analysts and leaders happening in Munich, Germany. So we're going to hear a lot of 
conversation about precisely these topics, uh, but I think you will see Europe uh, rearming at, at an accelerating rate uh, for all of these reasons. We are speaking with Michael Clare, Professor Emeritus of Peace and World Security Studies at Hampshire College, defense correspondent for The Nation magazine, prolific author on defense issues. We are going to be asking Professor Clare about Gaza and Hamas and Israel and what happens next right after this. And you hide from my eyes And you turn and run farther when the fast bullets fly More Talk the Talk. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We continue our conversation with Northampton-based Nation Magazine defense correspondent, Professor Emeritus of World and and Peace Security Studies, um, Michael Clare. I want you to do something, and this is perhaps unfair, but I would like to know what hope there is in Gaza for some kind of resolution that will stop the killing already. It's enough. What will stop this horrifying war in Gaza? Michael Clare, I, I, any hope would be really appreciated. Well, see, here's the thing. There's only one person who can stop things, uh, who has the power uh, to change, and that's President Biden. Uh, Everybody else is powerless to do anything. So Biden has to to use his power to get uh, Netanyahu to stop. And uh, Biden has so far refused to do that. But his his re-election campaign is now at risk because of his failure to do this. And he's losing support right and left. Uh, and I, I think, uh, you know, in every sense of the term uh, that we, we might say that, he's losing support of Arab Americans. He's losing the support of young people in droves. He's losing support of African Americans uh, and um, large sectors of the population uh, of his base are outraged at what's happening and so his support is crumbling and you could sense that the despair around him so at what point this is going to reach biden enough to say for him to call say that we are not going to ship a single bullet to israel until you stop this that's that's what he has to do that's the only hope otherwise the killing will continue and Biden can control Netanyahu because without the armaments, without the bullets, without the means of destruction, Netanyahu can't continue the war. Is that what you're saying? He could continue it for a while, but without U.S. And it's not just bullets. Uh, the U.S. provides intelligence support, logistics support. I mean, this is a U.S. Uh, U.S is a co-conspirator in the Gaza war. And we, we mustn't forget that in so many respects besides providing weapons. And it's, it's also uh, a, a sense that Israel feels it can rebuff the demands of the rest of the globe. Every other country is saying stop. 
But as long as uh, Washington says it's okay, uh, the Israelis feel they could continue the bombing. Um, but when the it, it, it requires that Washington, the sole international major international supporter of Israel, has to say stop. Michael, this is Dan. Can you discuss um, possibility a of a, an agreement to free more hostages, and could that some way um, reduce the chances of Israeli uh, further incursion? At this point, I'm pessimistic about that. I know there are negotiations underway in Cairo. Uh, the head of the CIA, Burns, is there, and um, top officials of Mossad and um, the Hamas representatives are there. So it's possible, uh, but I, I, you know, I don't know how many hostages are left because uh, the Israeli bombing is destroying so many locations that we, we don't know if, if they're still left. So the, these, and, and uh, you know, I don't, think, I don't think Benjamin Netanyahu cares about the hostages. He claims he does, but I don't think so. I think his, his intention is to prevent the possibility of a Palestinian nation ever arising by destroying as much of Palestinian community as he possibly can. So uh, he has no interest in a settlement, uh, I mean, a hostage agreement. And I take it, Michael Clare, no interest in actually using this as an opportunity to create a Palestinian state and have a two-state solution. He, he's been devoted to preventing that from ever happening, which is why we're in this a mess. So it's going to have to be outside pressure on him from the United States and other countries uh, to bring him to reason. And let's hope that that happens soon before m more people perish. Professor Michael Clare, thank you so Thanks. much.